Welcome to Real Conversations, brought to you by Hedgeye. These in-depth, pro-to-pro investing conversations feature Hedgeye CEO Keith McCullough going deep with some of the smartest investors from around the world. We encourage you to visit our website, Hedgeye.com, to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. You can also follow us on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. Now, let's get to a real conversation. I am Keith McCullough, and welcome to another Real Conversation, this time on a topic that I often talk about on the Macro Show, uh, which is the move index, the volatility of the move index, the you know things like the yield curve. Harley Bassman, this is like your world, man, and um, I guess a lot of people are going to have a little bit of access to it. So thanks, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, maybe just start with, just so people get a sense um, uh, of your background and, and, and who you are, and then we'll get into your process, because it's your first time uh, on Hedge ITV, and again, thanks for, for having the conversation. I just want to make sure that people have some perspective on, on what it is that you're doing and where you came from. Sure, sure. Well, I grew up in California, used to have a suntan a smile, <laughs> uh, went right to U Chicago Business School, which you can't do anymore, ended up on Wall Street at uh, age 23, I was at Drexel for a little bit. Um, which was kind of interesting. Uh, Milken was, was not, he was there, but he was in California. We were in New York. And um, I ended up at Merrill Lynch in 1985, and I was there for 26 years. And mm. I was at Merrill Lynch, I ran the um, uh, mortgage trading, option trading, and basically anything that had uh, like a non-linear payoff, any kind of convexity products, which is, which is what a mortgage is, because are callable. But uh, stuff like that. Um, obviously, Merrill had a small problem blowing up. And uh, I went to Credit Suisse and then to PIMCO. I was there for a few years and now I'm kind of uh, went off on my own, uh, basically where I write. So you can find my stuff at convexthemaven.com. Uh, I publish, I don't know, whenever I want, maybe once a month, maybe a little less. Yeah. Um, it's free. And um, I've recently joined Simplify Asset Management, uh, where we've, um, uh, they have some very clever ideas where they create ETFs that are long convexity, which is very different than most other places. And we've done actually something that's never been done before, which has taken ISDA products, so professional derivative products, and put them into an ETF so civilians can access all the same stuff that the professionals can do. And um, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, you know, is the style options you have to go through an arduous process for any of you that have started your own asset management firm. Uh, when we started it at Carlisle, I remember uh, my last stop, Harley, like it was yesterday. We blew that place up nice and good. Uh, but before that, we couldn't do anything until we had our, our is the contracts in place. So that's, um, you know, it's a subtle thing that you just said, but it's certainly a real thing. And uh, having access to somebody who would typically be just like you said, you'd be on, on running a desk at Merrill. That's not what you know, your average Joe, uh, not to say your average Joe isn't more sophisticated these days than the sophisticated Joe thinks that they're sophisticated, but I mean, these aren't things that people have had access to in the past, correct? No, I mean, I have a personal ISDA, which is very helpful for me, uh, but I'll tell you that even most small hedge funds uh, or family offices will not have an ISDA, uh, and it's gotten more challenging after Dodd-Frank. So, um, but what you can do once you get into that world is is uh, is rather incredible. Once you get past the you know one two year mark where things are very liquid, and um, you know if you buy an option, it decays very quickly. You really can't go use an option as an investment vehicle. It's really more of a speculative vehicle. Um, and Fed policy or other dynamics um, that are interesting, kinda you know for one month or three months or six months become really interesting if you go out five or ten years. So in Europe, you have negative rates right now, um, 
and that will impact the stock market, the derivatives, the, the, the dividends. But if you take that negative European rate out five years and compound it, uh, you get some really interesting investment opportunities. Well, I mean, because because these things on a longer term basis have these massive pops and drawdowns. And, you know, what, what I'm talking about is volatility. So volatility, uh, I want to start with actually some of the slides that you, you gave us uh, in preparation for this, because I, I do think it gives people uh, a nice framework. Quite literally, every morning I start um, when I look at cross asset class volatility, I will always highlight you know, whether the move is moving or not. And uh, in context, it's always moving a little bit, like to your point, but within the context of the, of the short cycle, but the long cycle, guys, if you go to Harley's first slide here on slide one, this is actually the history of implied vol on the move. Um, so maybe, <laughs> like, look at that chart. I mean, uh, maybe just speak to it in terms of what I just said, which is there, there are huge peaks and valleys. Um, so uh, I created the move index uh, in, I think it was 94. You created it? I created it, yes. It's wow, mine. you could have started with that instead of some of the firms, yeah. man. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, the M stands for Merrill. Merrill is Merrill, uh, Merrill Option yeah, Volatility Estimate. So, uh, I, which, which got sold recently to the uh, to ICE, the stock exchange, and then they, they didn't pay me a penny, unfortunately. Um, but the move you didn't actually, get paid. You didn't get paid. You're the guy who created the move, and you didn't get paid anything for that. Well. Merrill gave me some stock options along the way, so I can't cry about that. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, 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 but back at the ranch, um, it, implied volatility is the significant um, input into options. Everything else is transparent and readily available to go look at. Implied vol is, is kind of the magic. Um, and, and it describes the distribution around you know, the mean, the center of, of, of some asset, some price, whatever it might be. And it's a, it's a kind of a tricky, bothersome idea. And I wanted to find a way to market options, you know, it was like early 90s, to market the product to people and explain to them in a very simple way. And the VIX had just come out um, a year before and it dawned on me, okay, fine, I'll go and create the, the VIX for bonds. Um, and actually, I have more data than the VIX because we actually had data going back to 1988. Yep. Um, uh, so we could create the move going back that far. And the move's actually a very simple animal. Um, it's, 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 it's a real number. Uh, it's a normal volatility. And I'll make it really simple for you. Something you can explain to mom and dad at home. You take uh, whatever the normal vol is, or in this case the move, um, divide it by 16. And that's how much the market's going to move, expected to move every day. So a move of 60 is more or less like we're going to move four basis points a day. Um, and you can do the same thing with um, uh, any kind of uh, option out there. Uh, if gold is trading, I'll make up a number, $1,000. You would have vol of 20. What that means is a year from now is a 68% probability, one standard deviation, that I'll be between 80, uh, 800 and 1200. That's all it means. Um, so when you look at option prices on, um, you know, uh, Amazon or, 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 or um, you know, uh, AMC for God's sakes, and you see numbers there, that kind of, you can take that option, take that, divide by 16, you get the daily price movement of what it's gonna be. Right. So uh, when, you, when you have that magic 16 in your head, uh, it makes it very easy to go and estimate, do you think vols are too high or too low? Um, the move index right now is around in the, in the mid 60s. It's, it's very deceptive. The move is actually higher than you think. 
The reason why is it's made up of a blend of one month options on the two year, five year, 10 year and 30 year. The Fed is basically frozen the two year note and they've kind of locked in the five year by saying we're not going to move rates for the next year and a half, two years, three years. If you pull out the two year and the five year components of the move, then it would right now would be actually in the low 80s, which kind of makes sense if you look at the chart. So I would, I would, um, I kind of, I kind of look at that as as what the move really is saying now. Uh, the Fed is artificially uh, suppressing the front end of the curve and thus artificially suppressing the move. Well, part of that, I mean, um, uh, part of that has a lot to do with the Fed being surprised to the upside on reality, right? So the Fed moves, as you know, the short end of the curve or moves the move because the move's got those. Uh, those strikes and and all of a sudden wow we, we realize it's not well they haven't quite said it's not transitory they haven't they haven't defined what transitory is as you know in terms of a, an actual duration uh, but they're they they're surprised they had to change their they changed their estimates and all of a sudden the short end moved so the move moved a little bit more than it had um, and that to me is really an open question here I wrote about that this morning actually tr just trying to walk through that if if, we're, if if God forbid someone like me is right guys slide 15 on our inflation now cast and inflation stays above four and heads toward five for the next two quarters at least, you know, doesn't it follow, um, or at least it follows to me to ask the risk management question on this, Harley, um, that the move uh, should continue to move higher because the short end's finally moving? I think uh, as you're describing, uh, I'm, I'm kind of in your camp on this, but the Fed's not taking the front end up. They're taking, they're going to let the back end release and move. So you will get a higher move index. So you're right about that, but you're incorrect about where it's going to come from. It's going to come from the back end moving a lot more um, because the Fed's going to go, as they've said, as they should do, is they're going to go and look at Stephen and um, move QE. I actually published yesterday uh, a commentary. I called it an open letter to the Fed where I advised them uh, four or five or six ideas that they could do at this meeting or maybe at Jackson Hole to go and modify around the edges their current policy um, that I think would be very helpful uh, there'd be a public policy benefit, and one of them is to let the curve steepen. Mm -hmm. Well, what they'd like, what they'd like to have happen, and what will happen, are two, uh, often two different things. I mean, what the market, to me, has said to the Fed right now: Hey, look, if you're going to get hawkish on the front end, then we're going to take down growth expectations on the back end. Now, that can happen in two different ways: you can have deflation, or you can have, obviously, you can have economic stagflation. So, those are two ways where. They may not, it may not be inaccurate, it may be you get what you get, because there's always some level of probability of, of the curve moving in different ways, obviously relative to what the Fed would like. You know, anomalously, basically since, um, you know, the GFC, you've seen volatility higher in the 10-year note than the two-year note. And the previous, you know, 20, 30 years, other way around. It used to be the two-year would lead the market up and down and would easily be 10 to 15% higher in implied vol than the 10-year note. And for the last decade, really, it's been the other way, where the uh, the back end has been much more volatile, which really, it, it creates some, some weird knock-on effects that are unclearly good or bad, um, but that is strained. Now, what you're describing now is if the Fed does start to go and we see a four-handle coming, it's not transitory, it's not base effect, um, and people get this notion they might go raise the front end, then you are right. You'll, you'll, you'll see all vols go up, and the front end was really going to go and move. Because right now, uh, uh, the, 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 um, if the move index was only the front end, it'd be about 25 or 30. 
Mm-hmm. That's, how, that's how low implied ball is in the yeah. two-year note. But it just started to move. That's the point. Like this is we focus people on the rate of change, not the level. And after you know being like uh, paint drying, it actually just moved, and it moved for the right reasons. Um, you actually have a chart, uh, a chart that shows this on sl- uh, the next chart, guys. If you show Fed funds rate versus the five-year uh, forward rate, you can see uh, the pink part as opposed to paint dry. Harley, what I mean by that is that 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 pink or purple, whatever color that line is, was dead flat on its back, not moving at all. Um, and that's. All of a sudden, the Fed acknowledging that you know, that this might not be as transitory as they thought. It wasn't too long ago, Harley. Don't forget that there are a lot of people out there, and some people that are relatively famous and should be, like Rick Reeder, uh, who would say, "Hey, look, you know, I, you know, we'll see what happens after we get to two percent." And now they're talking about, well, due to base effects, two to three months of over two percent, it may not be two percent. And what I'm saying, because we've had the best inflation forecast in the world for the last three years, both up and down, is that they're going to be wrong for longer. Uh, I don't think anyone has actually perfected an inflation model that works all the time. I, I didn't mean, say I, I didn't say it's perfect, but I built a great yeah. firm with that call. Uh, you have been, you have been right. I say congratulations, <laughs> but um, it's been very challenging to go and predict inflation uh, for for lots of people. And um, that's why well, we do it. You got to be that's it. You're not gonna you're not gonna be able to have your own house in Florida if you don't do something different, right? That is true. That's true. That you is created true. the move. I created a pretty damn good uh, you know, predictor of now casting inflation. We're using real time data, yeah. using a stochastic model. Uh, Merrill, the people at, at Bank of America, Merrill don't even have anything remotely close to this at this point. Uh, but you know, I, I digress. Yes. So, well, so what do you think? If, if I'm right, okay, because again, risk management is about. Let's just say that I'm right. Let's say uh, not a meteor hits, you know, your house right now. But I mean, let's just say that I I have a high batting average on this. Let's say that I'm right, and let's say that those inflation numbers on slide 15 stick at a very high level relative to what anyone at the Fed is talking about. You do you, you don't think there'll be a lot of pin action on the front end of the curve? No, I they don't. don't want it. I think that they're going to let the curve steepen on the back end. I think they're going to pull their bond forward. They'll buy fewer mortgages. They'll buy fewer tips, and uh, steepening the curve is a public policy benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, it, ha- it, 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 it helps uh, clearly helps retirees. Um, so you're transferring money from corporations who are borrowing to the boomers who are retiring soon. Helps insurance companies. Um, helps um, uh, pension funds. Um, those are all good things to have happen. But more importantly, what what steepening of the curve will do? Or not even steepening, releasing the curve to go and move by market forces uh, creates the ability to go and have information into the market. So uh, historically, what you've seen is that the best predictor of a recession is the yield curve. And uh, I wrote about this in uh, late 2018, early 2019, uh, saying uh, the curve, that chart you're looking at right there, in theory, we should have a recession in 18 months. Mm-hmm. And, and and that was my prediction, and I and I said at the time, I have no idea why it's going to happen because everything looks great. Um, I guess you, one could say that I predicted a uh, a pandemic, but I won't take credit for that. <laughs> but lo and behold, we 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 did have a recession in March, April, May of, of last year, mm-hmm. and, and the curve kind of predicted it. And I think having market forces, market prices give us information so people can properly adjust their portfolios is very important. And the last time the Fed kind of got in the way of doing this, creating moral hazard was, you know, 05, 06, 07, when Greenspan said, we're going to use a measured pace and take rates up by 25 cents every six weeks. Well, if he says that, 
and you kind of know it, then well, what can you do? You could sell an out-of-the-money put option on interest rates, 30 basis points out of the money, because Greenspan's already, already told you what's going to happen. It's going to go up by 25. Um, and you could sell a lot of those options and, 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 and options on other things, because he's kind of giving you the hint. This creates moral hazard. And so was, was the GFC and the Fed's fault? No. Were they one of the villains? Yeah, they were, um, because of... Of, 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 of taking away risk management tools and having and encouraging them to take on more risk. Right now is the same kind of idea. Uh, the Fed wants to create inflation because we have too much debt. And the only way out of too much debt is to default or inflate. And inflation is a slow motion default. Um, uh, inflation is, is what the Fed wants. Um, they started this 10 years ago. Uh, it's unfortunate that the inflation they got... Uh, People that say that there was no inflation are that's totally bogus. There's been huge inflation from the Fed printing money. It happened in stocks, bonds, gold, real estate, fine art, jewelry, uh, used cars now, I guess. Um, <laughs> and, and so we've had massive inflation, but that's not been a public policy good. It's, 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 it, it, it's it jammed the wealth effect. It's gone and, and, and created um, wealth disparity, uh, which is not good. I think the idea now is to try and create use fiscal policy to um, create some some inflation in labor, in services, in wages. That's a public policy good. But in either case, you need market forces moving prices that are driven by real supply and demand tells people what to do. And I think a steeper curve would help people um, reduce their risk exposure because it would signal to them, okay, things are are. Um, uh, potentially risky in the future. As I suspect you'll get to that eventually because the, the, the best correlation of implied vol is shape of curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's essentially my point. I mean, uh, of course they'd love to steepen the curve. The last time I totally screwed this up was in 2011 when Bernanke was absolutely successful in the mother of all steepenings. I mean, I didn't think he could do it, and I was wrong. Um, so I got a I got a track record at least back a decade where I did screw that up that time. And and it is what everybody would like. I mean, so at the end of the day, we'll we'll have to see. In between now and the end of the day, could be two careers for me um, when we start to think about the. You mentioned this, and this is an important point, is the what the market expects the Fed to do relative to what they actually do or the fear of, the, of, of what they do and its impact on, on the future of the economy and the curve. So, I mean, that's tough. I mean, I, I think we have to read and I, I feel like I have to read and watch on that. What do you think you need to do? Well, I mean, there's a, there's a you know, cognitive dissonance going on right now where you are saying, Today's inflation is not transitory. It's not space effect. We're going to have it, you know, three months, six months, nine months from now. You might be right. You might not be. I don't know. But the yield curve is saying that we're going to have a double dip. We're going to go back into recession, right? We've flattened out 50, 60 bips in the last um, uh, couple months over here. If you believe the yield curve is a predictor, the best predictor of the economy, yeah. Uh, the, the curve saying you're dead wrong, man. We're going into recession again. Um, no, it's, right? I, I'd, I I'd take know. a step back on that. I mean, you, uh, the curve is doing exactly what it can do when you have stagflation as a as a a, a sticky expectation or sticky stagflation. You can have 1970s style. You can have an expectation of economic stagnation where the curve flattens and they can't get it to steepen. You can absolutely have that, but you don't have to have a recession. You can have no, the, something the, that's, that's very bad. 
you'd get a flat curve at a much higher rate level, though. So that's, that's, the le- that, that's the level thing again. I don't know about the level. I know about the rate of change, which is if you do have economic stagflation, you know, that's, that's my point, is that the, the future expectation for growth is falling, and the front end of inflation expectations remain pinned and not able to come down. I mean, that's, that's why a curve flattens. Why would people buy? Usually the curve flattens from the Fed jamming rates up, not because of market forces. But that said, well, that's actually, that's exactly what just happened. The the curve didn't go up because the the Fed acknowledged they took up their inflation forecast by the most on a on point-to-point rate of change basis in the history of the Fed. I mean, it's not like the Fed didn't move the front end of the curve. That's exactly what just happened. Well, I mean, the Fed hasn't changed rates, have they? No, you don't have to. The market you know, the market heard what they said. They in your own chart, they marked up the short end of the curve as soon as the Fed changed their projection. Um, nonetheless, I think I think that it's unclear to me that if we actually have 4% inflation as you're projecting, that people who have money would put it into a 10-year security versus a two-year security. I'm not sure, I'm not sure why people would lock in a negative real rate. No, they, they wouldn't. What they, what they would do in a fully allocated macro model that isn't just rates, uh, you know, rate-centric is that they buy gold. I mean, so when you have quad three stagflation, which is why you know gold did what it did in the 1970s, or did when we had stagflation in, in, at, into August of last year, for that matter, uh, is that gold absolutely rips. So yeah, it competes with real yields com- collapsing. And yeah, if we have four to five percent inflation and a one and a quarter percent ten-year yield, you have some of the worst. Well, you have the worst real. Yields yes. in the history of real real yields. I mean, that, there, it's not like um, there isn't an investable scenario for that. Uh, I, I, you are right that gold and real yields are are, are very well correlated. Although I, I find gold to be a rather tricky animal uh, at <laughs> yeah. best. I, I I do own gold. I like gold as a long term uh, uh, you know, asset class diversification. So I'm I'm on the home team with you for that. Yeah, the um, I, I just buy gold when it's in when we're in stagflation. Gold loves economic stagflation, what we call quad three. Um, so that's that's an important one. Um, on your on the back to this point of inflation, you make this point on slide seven in your deck, and this is the thing that from a modeling perspective, if you're me front running the Fed constantly and 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 you do have an accurate inflation model, you you can you can use this. I mean, you're using this. You're using one of the best predictors of my model, which is the rate of change uh, slide seven guys on in his deck, which is Case Shiller National Home Price Index. This is a monster chart. I mean, and it's leading. It's not lagging. So. HPI, like we use that on slide 64 of our deck. So again, if you get the rate of change of home price inflation, right, or like you said, all these things are inflating. You know, whether it be art or it be you know, high-end homes or it be stocks, uh, everything's inflating. And on a lag, you know, inflation plays catch up to that. That's a third. Go to slide 63. A third of the CPI, as you know, Harley, is shelters. So, so it's really easy to get inflation higher than my nowcast, which don't include it actually going to where it's going to go. I'm front running myself on this. Um, <laughs> like, do you like do you see any? I guess to me, where I could be wrong on inflation staying sticky for longer or sticky stagflation, however the hell I want to say it, I'd have to get that wrong. Do you think that do you, do you think that that we could see some kind of um, a deflationary spiral or reversal in in the real estate market? Um, well. As I wrote about uh, yesterday, uh, home prices are at the, at the ordinary median level, not, mm-hmm. not high end where guys like you live. Um, at the median level is driven by interest rates. Nobody buys a house. They buy a 30-year payment stream. Exactly. And 
the median income, median house price right now is 363, 365. Um, if rates went from two and a half to three and a half percent, all else equal, your payment stream stays the same. The house price would drop to 320. Yep. So the the, the issue with with home prices and uh, using them uh, purely naked as as opposed to an OER kind of thing is that it's a feedback loop where taking rates down takes housing prices up. I think if we had mortgage price, mortgage rates go up significantly, which they, 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 they mean is a point and a half significant, I guess right now it is, um, that would certainly take the, the, um, the pot off the, off, off, off the steam right now. Um, home prices would certainly, I'm not sure they go down a lot, but they certainly would stop going up. Right. Um, and that, once again, considering that the millennials are now entering into their prime years, um, it'd be a public policy good to raise mortgage rates to reduce home prices or at least, you know, slow them down. Yeah, that's um, it's it's it would take it would take a lot. But, you know, the arrest of a bubble or bubbling price is, is, is one catalyst for it. We'll have to see. We'll have to see about that. I think a lot of um, the deflationistas really need that, though, and they need it soon. The problem with that chart slide 63 is that the base effect, which now We've got a lot of people that use those words, which is great because it's a, a mathematical and empirical reality you need to deal with. Is that that you will not get easing, you will not get um, uh, a lack of easy comps until February of next year, where that that chart bottoms at one and a half percent. So that a third of CPI is going to be sticky and high uh, yep. for a while. Um, I, another question. So on slide three, because this is your bag, uh, which is, again, and maybe just go, taking a step back here and, and giving people the right language and the right mechanics to talk about implied vol versus the yield curve, because this is a great chart. It, 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 again, it's a, it's a very important relationship that people need to be monitoring every day, tens twos against, um, I think you have that one year uh, into one the year tenure. Yeah, they're right. Yeah. Can you explain that and why it really has, again, these, these are, and this is what you're saying, is that in your world, there are huge advantages or, or huge um, alpha generating opportunities to take advantage of if you execute on a different duration when something's happening in a shorter term duration. Well, I mean, what is implied vol, really? It's it's looking forward, not backward. And you're trying to go and guess um, what's the range of possible outcomes a year from now. And the higher the implied vol, kind of the, the more uncertainty you have, um, the more, and, and uncertainty is risk. So implied vol really is the price of risk, the price of insurance. It goes hand in hand. If you have a dead flat curve, so... I'll make up numbers, the two years, 3%, the 10 years, 3%, then the forward rate is 3% by, by bond math. And so therefore, there's not much uncertainty as to what's going to happen. If you had a very steep curve, so a 2% two-year and a 6% 10-year, then the forward rate might be 8%, once again, using math to discount forward prices. Well, if you have a forward of 8 and the spot rate for the 10-year is 6 since we have not invented going backwards in time yet, we can only go one direction, the spot has to go from six to eight, or the forward has to go from eight to six. Mm -hmm. They've got to converge because at some day the future becomes the present. The wider that spread between today and tomorrow, the more uncertainty you have because the bigger distance you have to move to converge the two. And so the steeper the curve or the more you get an inverted curve, you get the same effect. Right. The more shape to the yield curve, the bigger the difference between spot and forward, and thus implied volatility should increase 
because your uncertainty has increased. And that's why these two lines follow each other. And looking at this curve right now um, and the flattening we've seen, there's two scenarios. Uh, either A, the curve's going to steepen to go hit that vol number, or by the way, vols could collapse yep. to meet the curve. It's, it's unclear which one's which. I tend to think the curve's going to steepen, as, as you implicitly do because of your inflation call, but it could be if we have a flat curve and stagnation and everything else, and the Fed keeps you know keeps a steady hand, you could see vols collapse again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, vol really collapses like once you once you get into what I call quad four deflation because it's a one way trade. I mean, everybody knows what to do. Uh, the the point in time that a lot of people have had wrong. I want to take what you just said and tack it on to on slide twenty where you show rates vol against uh, high yield credit because uh, that's really you know. For people who only do stocks, and this is a, a big problem for a lot of people, and I know that they're probably implicitly or not nodding their head, Harley. They're like, these two guys are talking about shit I don't even, I've never heard about, but I think I get it, uh, or not. But they can always translate it back to stocks, right? So, like, when you look at stocks and high yield credit, there's certainly uh, bedfellows there. And, you know, maybe walk through that. Like, when high yield credit sniffs or high yield spreads start to break out, um, and, and, you, and this is in conjunction with rate vol, like, that's a, that's a real thing to deal with. We have not had that. What, what's actually happened is that every time people are crying wolf about a stock market bubble, we get a correction that's viable. High yield credit hasn't even sneezed. I mean, on high, spreads versus treasuries. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, once again, you're, you, you're, you're right. Um, you know, Im, implied vol and, uh, on, on equities and um, junk bond, high yield credit, uh, moves hand in hand. In fact, Goldman Sachs has a great piece about this, uh, looking at the relationship of like longer dated way out of the money puts versus high yield spreads. And right. I won't say it's a trade per se, but they do follow each other. But they make it makes sense though because these are both assets at the bottom of the capital structure. Yes. But going back to the question you had about you know taking people into bond land, which they always hate. Um, although the <laughs> bond market, by the way, the bond market is bigger than the stock market yeah. and has a better ability to predict the economy than the stock market does. Um, but ignoring that small detail, uh, in bonds, you have three risk components. You have duration, credit, convexity. Duration is when you get your money back, shape of the yield curve. Credit is if you get it back, credit <laughs> spreads. And convexity is how you get it back. It's a path-dependent, asymmetric kind of risk. And you see all three of those curve, as I've shown you with vol, goes hand in hand. The next chart, as you just showed, vol with credit spreads. They all go with each other up and down. And if so you had some huge AI machine that was investing and allocating money amongst those three risk buckets, they will follow each other. As the curve flattens, people will go into credit. As the credit spreads come in, they'll sell vol options. And by, and, and, and on the way back up, the same way. Mm-hmm. So they all go hand in hand um, with, with with each other, uh, which, which makes sense. Uh, I mean, risk is risk is risk. And they all are correlated. The problem is, it's just almost impossible to actually do to do A versus B on a short-term basis. The leads and lags are pretty significant, and they could be many, many months between them. So that's a that's a hard transaction. But as you describe your world with the with the four quads, uh, which is a, a longer horizon kind of investment profile, it's very reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, the relationship between credit and rates and the cycle itself and people's um, 
you know, people are narrative-based in the equity market like no other place, whereas in the bond market, to your point, it's bigger and there are more adults and it's more glacial. Uh, and the signals, I think, are, are, are more, at least to me, they're, they're, they're more investable and more clear. Uh, this year has been interesting because you have so many bloody hedge funds that just can't make money. And every single month, the narrative has to change because the factor exposure in the equity market that flipped changed. And it really, like I said, if you're looking at high-yield OAS spread or you're looking at you know, a lot of different things, the CRB index, which is a pretty big signal that's not equities, which is commodities, obviously, hitting a new cycle high yesterday, they're just like chugging along. <laughs> I mean, you know, people people got to go go and uh, you know cover their nuts somehow. I mean, active <laughs> managers got to go and do active stuff. I mean, the, the the issue you're circling around really is the migration of money from active to passive. Yeah, um, and which is has not stopped for a decade. Uh, and um, you know, what are the implications for that? Yeah. Uh, and my partner at Simplify, uh, Mike Green, has written extensively about you know how this is a. Uh, uh, over time becoming more and more bothersome. I mean, we're not yeah. at a point yet where, where it's eaten itself, but um, at some point, you, I mean, you can't have everyone being a passive. I mean, someone's got to go and buy or sell on the margin, but you do have this core issue that as the market becomes more passive, you create a more negatively convex underlying profile, mm -hmm. which is why these, the, the firm I joined, Simplify, why, why I joined them, basically, is they by the optionality on both sides, the call and the put, because you could have as much of a, as quick of a, a melt up as a melt down once you start factoring in uh, passive flows. Yeah, that, I mean, that's really what I built my entire process around. Mike and I have had uh, one real conversation. His thoughts were super helpful because he's the guy's brilliant, right? I mean, he made yeah. he, I think uh, Mike Taylor, actually a good friend of mine who's been on Hedge ITV a bunch. He's, he's, he always says this about Mike Green. He's like, he's a, one of those guys that if you just shut up and listen, you're going to come up with all these ideas because Mike loves coming up with his own ideas after you know he hears another smart you know, individual who knows knows the cycle uh, well. And and I, I, I agree with that. I mean, if, if you look at slide four, which is literally the first slide of my deck, I mean, this whole idea of passive flows and, and why it really triggers what I call the machine is paramount. It's what you should start with. I mean, you shouldn't you shouldn't go away from that ever again. You know, back when you were at Merrill, I mean, obviously the hedge funds were the were the blue line in that. I don't know if you can see it, but it's hedge fund AUM against you know ETFs and ETPs. So it's like, and now you know, guys like you, Simplify, you know, people like Nancy Davis, people are coming up with you know ETFs that are other parts of the market that people haven't had access to. So it's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. There's, no, I don't think there's any way that that secular trend of passive and passive flows triggering captain stock picker or captain credit picker, I don't think it's going to change. Well, I wouldn't use the word ever, but uh, in the foreseeable future, you're certainly right. Yeah, yeah, ever being, you know, while I'm on the right side of the grass, at least, I mean, God willing. So it's like, you know, you know it's, it's, it's something, you know, that's there. Now, um, when you and Mike talk about this, like the idea of, well, convexity. I mean, what what ETFs out there have that as a primary input? Oh boy, well, I'm not I'm, I'm not sure I'm allowed to go talk about certain names of certain ETFs. No, let's just I'm say don't saying... talk about that. But more so, like you know, I, my point here is that, and obviously, I'm not. It's not lost on anybody that you you compete with with Davis, but she she or you. I mean, it's relatively new to people, big time. Uh, I would call us. We're kind of complimentary in many ways. I would say we're competitors, and Nancy is brilliant and has done a great job. Yeah. Um, but we, we offer very different products for very different risk controls. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so everyone can be happy in the sandbox. 
But if you think about it, I think one of the key insights that that that, that you know we've kind of come to is th- there is a lot of skew in the option market uh, from almost everything, but for, for stocks in particular, where the out of the money put is a much higher implied volatility than the out of the money call. Yes. The reason for that is multiple reasons. Stocks tend to go down faster than they go up. But the reality is that you think about it, everybody is long equities. No one's short them. Who's long them? Um, go, who, I mean, actually, any asset. Who's short? The only people who are actually short assets are the U.S. government, because they issue treasuries, corporations, because they issue stocks and bonds, and then homeowners, because they issue mortgages of sorts, right? Um, but so it's a matter. So if someone wants to get less long, they have to go give that long to somebody else. Well, if someone's already long and you're asking them to go take on more by, you know, selling them a put, they need a premium. They need to go and get paid for that. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so that's why these like a one month, three month, six month puts are, are so much higher than half the money. Right. And then on the call side, people like income. And so selling a 5% or 10% out of the money call option is a way to convert potential future capital gains into current income. And people who are risk averse like the idea of saying, I'd like to go and get the certainty of some more coupon, some more dividends, some more income by giving up all the upside or a lot of the upside on a stock. So you're just selling. But if you really think about it, and so therefore you get, like right now, if you go out, you know, you know I don't know, two, three months, um, a 20 point out of the money put is about the same price as a 10 point out of the money call. That's how big the skew is right now. Let's go way out. Let's go like five years out, 10 years out. Mm-hmm. Think about this. If you buy an equity, what's the most you can lose? But you paid for it, right? If you short an equity, you short Amazon or Tesla or GameStop. What's the most you could lose? I won't say infinite, but a lot more. <laughs> so if you go out five years, should the skew be the other way around? Because the put has limited loss, whereas the call, if you're short that, has unlimited loss. And it's the skew is backwards. And that's where you can go start to go and create some really interesting profiles with that kind of insight. Yep. And on the shorter term basis, um, you can buy, we create products where most peop- most ETFs that are involved in options do either A, you buy the asset, you buy the put, B, you buy the asset, you buy the put, and you sell the call, right, to create these target kind of profiles. Um, why do you want to go sell that call? The better idea is to buy the put and buy the call and own both sides of the distribution. Yeah, and that's what we've done with with a lot of our products is to add that upside call, which is incredibly inexpensive, because there's this massive supply of options from people who want income, and really, who wants to buy a call? People are already long. Why do you want to get double long? <laughs> they don't. So the call trades way too cheap versus its theoretical value, and when you create an ETF with that kind of profile, what you could do is instead of buying Let's say your 60-40 is your base case. Mm-hmm. Instead of buying 60-40 like that, why don't you go and buy 55 of a profile that goes like this both ways? You have less downside because you're only long 55, right? But you have more upside because you can be a 65 on the upside because you're on the call. Yep. And that's really where it gets interesting. We start 
taking these profiles, I, I'm not trying to convince you to buy or sell stocks. I'm trying to convince you to go and modify the profile, the path of how you get there. Mm-hmm. And this is the key, the key component about options, which is, it's a struggle, but it's a path-dependent opportunity, mm-hmm. a path-dependent, and I won't call it an asset, but it alters how you get somewhere. Think about this. If you go buy IBM at 100, and it, go, it ends up at 110 a year from now, do you really care if it went to 130 or 80 before it got to 110? No, it got to 110, you made 10%. You buy a bond, same thing. You buy 100, it goes to 110, whatever, it got there. I got paid my coupon. If you buy an option, it actually matters a lot how you get to that final destination. It's a path-dependent risk. And so, therefore, if you have clever people who can pick and choose interesting options and add that into your core underlying beta, right, just uh, asset allocation, you can improve your portfolio significantly because it's path-dependent. And that's what we do. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, it's what... It's, it's interesting because it's what people playing the game at the highest level do on both the sell side, that's where you came from, and the buy side. Hedge funds, most of my conversations on curves, shapes, uh, because we do 50 different countries. We don't just do the U.S. So it's like talking about all these different curves uh, at the same time, which can drive you nuts if you don't have consistent process to, again, aggregate your asymmetric bets if you have them. I mean, that's what, and I, and I do think this is really the, you know, the, it's not an adventure, the experience it is Hedgeye, it's actually revealing who's out there and who does what. Because when you and I at the beginning of this conversation are back and forth like, you, no, I don't agree with this, or I, don't, I say I don't agree with that, that's not about this structuring the bet. That's about the direction of the bet and the expectation on the, on the payoff. It's, there's so many different ways to get people to a better place than a bloody 60-40 TLT spy fund, or whatever the hell it is. I, I, I mean... That's why I, I asked the question. I said, how many people are really out there doing this at scale? The answer is not a lot. And um, you know, to your point, Nancy Davis is a, a pro's pro. She does a great job. Um, and I've had a lot of uh, good conversations with her about these types of things. And, and, it's, and what I can find is that whether it's our institutional, our institutional clients are actually, particularly family offices, if they're at that scale, they ask a lot of questions about what she does. And they'll ask more about what you do. Just because people, they want to go there. They just need something to get there. Well, I mean, you know, what we're doing is not orthogonal to what you're doing because all we're doing is saying, I like your idea, and here's a better way to go and execute it. Right. I want to circle back to something else to make sure we, we, we touch on this, that rates going up or down by itself are conceptual, um, and we can argue about that. But if rates go up, you're gonna, you can get uh, some really nasty outcomes. And I think it's one of my slides or that we might get to is – there's been a correlation in the last 20 years of stocks to bonds. Stocks up, bonds down, and vice versa. They hedge each other. Um, That's and, uh, slide four, guys. Pop it up. It's his uh, fourth slide. And, and, and when you've seen the two biggest drawdowns in the last uh, few years, in uh, March of last year and then December 18 before that, what you had was stocks and bonds moving together down. Um, now, this is clearly bad for 60-40, but it's even worse for a levered portfolio, like risk parity. And what I'm, what I'm, the products I've created is really a way to ensure against this outcome. Now, it might be unlikely. You might be, uh, you could be Rosenberg, you could be Lacey Hunt, you, who, who are very, you know, bullish on rates, which is fine. But what if you're wrong? What if, what if Rosie's wrong by 5%? Uh, small, 
But what if he is? That is going to be a very sad outcome because we are a levered financial economy. And if stocks and bonds went down in unison, that would be very bad. And we have, from that chart and the one after that, shows that if inflation gets much above two and a half, three, and rates get much above four, four and a half, that the correlation will flip. And that is what you should be concerned about, is not the bond prices go down because of higher rates, but if stocks and bonds go down in unison. Yeah. Because then all levered money is in a pickle. Um, and I, I, I would view this as, as, as my biggest concern, uh, is if the correlation stops going in opposite directions. Um, and and this, this, this is the red flag I'm waving right now. I'm not saying we're going to get four or five percent rates. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if we do get that, yeah. you should have an insurance policy um, or a profile that will uh, that, that will offset that. That will be good. Uh, when you buy fire insurance, you don't hope for your house to burn down. And I'm not going to go about uh, life insurance. How you're rooting on that? So um, this this is the idea you should have in your head is, is and these insurance policies are incredibly cheap right now. Yeah. And what's truly anomalous uh, is, and this is some slides further down, is that traditionally we've seen the term surface, which is the surface of options from one month, three month, one year, two year, five year, goes uniformly up, as it should, because as you go out from one year to five years, you have more uncertainty, everyone. I presume, is less uncertain about a five-year future than the one-year future. Okay? So that's the concern. What you've seen anomalously is this term service has flattened in the last number of years. Um, I suppose by Fed policy. But that's made, um, that's kind of crazy because you've actually seen more risk being introduced to the market, right? We actually have someone, you, saying we might get inflation of 4%. Right or wrong, I don't care. I'm just saying no one was predicting that before, and that is a great uncertainty whether we get a four-handle or a one-handle in a year. Um, and so I find it very strange that long-dated options are trading as cheap as they are, and I view that as um, you know, a great worry because it signals to me people are short convexity, yep. short optionality, and almost every blog we've had in the last 30 years, 40 years, uh, has short convexity somewhere, you know, looking at the scene. Yeah, that's um, a slide. Actually, on they might get this, uh, more people might understand this. If you look at slide 12, he's showing SPY, volatility term surface. Um, on, I think on, on slide 12, is it maybe we have the 20-year the, the volatility, the surface of 20-year um, is on slide 15. So that, that's, a good, that's a good slide right there. You can yeah. see was, uh, this is a, it's, it's kind of crazy. Longer dead options and bonds trade yeah. for less than the short dead options, which is nutty. But that's a different <laughs> story entirely. But if you go back to the prior slide, that's interesting over here. Why do you have we're at the all-time highs and we have crazy stuff going on over here? Why would long-term vol have come down by this much relative to short-term vol? Look at that. When you look at one, two years on out, it has moved. Right. Why are long day options coming down? This this is not a good thing. And the Fed is creating moral hazard by not creating uncertainty so people will go and be less risky. That vol should be higher, not lower. 
if people are actually being you know concerned about the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I mean, there's, there's so many structural issues there. We could that, that's probably for another conversation where you know the hedge fund industry with all of its leverage targeting, net targeting is is your, their hands are constantly being forced to delta hedge, rehedge. There's so much going on there. There's obviously massive buying by central banks. Et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask uh, other people's questions. Uh, I have one big question I haven't asked you that I'll, a- I'll ask you if I don't like the questions in the queue. Uh, <laughs> what is, um, I, I don't know if this is yours or not, but it's a highly ranked question. Uh, he's asking, Jim's asking you to explain SVOL. What's SVOL? SVOL. Oh, 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 our, 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 that's our new product. Um, oh. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's a, an ET, can I talk about that or, or not? Um, can you? Is it, is it new? Does it trade? It does. It's listed. Yeah, trading. Of, course, of, course, of course you could talk about that. The okay. guy's asking yeah. about it. Um, well, actually, because he asked about it doesn't mean you could talk about it, but you could talk about it, obviously. <laughs> um, okay. So in the world, we have a very steep term surface for the VIX. Mm-hmm. So the one month is here, and then two, three, four, five going out. It's very steep for a lot of reasons, um, because you have buyers of the of the six-month option, and so of the one-month option, people try to go capture short-term income. And that curve is anomalously steep. Um, this product um, it, it existed before, I think it was XIV or whatever it was, uh, some product that blew up three years ago, which was trying to capture this roll down, this slide down the term surface. We basically took that idea and said, you know, that anomaly is still there, but it was a way too levered product. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so you have a massive supply-demand disequilibrium between the six-month point and the one-month point, and that roll-down creates a carry a coupon. Yep. We said, we like the idea. We're going to go and make it much less volatile. So we go and we buy an out-of-the-money call on the VIX, which we keep rolling over. And so basically, uh, you get, you, you're harvesting this alpha with an insurance policy. So you have a parachute on just in case things go crazy. Um, it will yield less than the old products do, um, but it'll be less volatile, it'll be more stable, and our back test shows it's actually rather clever. If you get a real blow up, you actually make money because mm-hmm. we're on the out of the money call. Um, so it's just a it's a way of, of it's classic you know alpha arbitrage when you have large retail or institutional flows that push prices way out of line, much further out of line than they should fundamentally economically be. So we have, there's hedge funds out there that sell one month options on treasuries and on and on, on, on equities every day at Delta Hedge. And you know who they are. And you have insurance companies who have to buy one year and two year options on SPY, SPX. They have to buy it, right. hedge out uh, their variable annuities. And so we have this pressure on both sides of almost regulated people doing stuff, we're going to say, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll collect that insurance premium, but we're also going to go and, and limit uh, ourselves with, 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 with the call option above it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a vol premium product. It's equity. It's There's no, there's nothing else in there. It's not rates. Is that right? Yeah. Just equity. I apologize for the noise. The gardener decided to go and garden by me. No, that's a, that's that's cool. Um, all right. Uh, here's a, a couple questions. Um, so this question has to do with the um, the flow of it all, and, and I've had a lot of questions on this actually. When you when you think about everything, actually, we haven't talked about this. Uh, we've talked a lot about the mechanics, a lot about the bond math. Uh, Dave in California, what's the main driver 
away from all this, he's basically asking, like, foreign demand for treasuries, the pension fund bid, rotation, resets, what, like, there's a lot to talk about. People talk and talk and talk all day long on TV. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, I think the Fed is the key driver for all yeah. this stuff. Um, I mean, I mean, I have advocated um, yesterday and for quite a while now that the Fed should um, reduce their buying of mortgage-backed securities. And that's one of the slides in there also. Yep. Um, you, uh, they're, they're, they, I use what's called the Constant Maturity Mortgage, CMM. It's the par mortgage rate. And I compare that versus the 10-year swap rate. And I was going back 10, 20 years, 30 years. Um, I view that as the best single indicator of uh, relative value of mortgage securities. Uh, right now, it's trading in the low 40s, 40, 41, 42. Guys, that's slide, sorry to interrupt. That's slide six, just so that people can have a chart. Yeah, the, what the, you're talking about. the pink one. Um, yeah. The forever average is 72, 75. Uh, the Fed is clearly distorting the market with their buying. Um, uh, and I would like them to go and, and back off and, and, and move that mortgage purchasing. Go and buy treasuries. Go and buy one to five year treasuries. So I'm not saying to go and stop buying. They could keep the, 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 the sopping up the, the money if they want to. I'm, I don't like it, but I'm not going to have them change the 120. But have them stop buying mortgages because they've pushed mortgages down. And by the way, this is very important. If and when the day comes that the Fed reduces that $40 billion a month of mortgage purchases, uh, mortgage REITs, uh, it's going to be a big problem. Uh, that is a risk that cannot be hedged or is not hedged by the mainline um, uh, mortgage REITs out there, the guys you know. Um, there are a few out there that use mortgage servicing, MSR, mortgage servicing rights, as their hedge as opposed to uh, treasuries and swaps and futures. Those guys will be um, a little safer. Uh, but the main guys, the big guys who use only... Um, uh, swaps and futures as their hedge, uh, that, that, that book value is going to drop like a stone. Uh, I, I figure about 10% um, if the Fed stops buying uh, mortgage securities. Yeah, that's um, and here's a follow-on question, same guy, and it just asks a different part of the market, of the Treasury market. What are what what do you think QE's effects been on bond market vol? Is that is it artificially suppressed, he's asking as well? Of course it has been. Um, I, mean, I mean, in multiple ways. One by flattening the curve, of, which reduces the, the cost of, uh, of hedging, but also just their underlying bid to the market. Um, and they're, I mean, clearly they, 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 they produce vol. But, but by the way, that, 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 that was a feature, not a bug. The Fed wanted to reduce volatility to bring in, um, you know, money, investment money in animal spirits. I mean, the whole idea of QE uh, was to get you out of safe treasuries and into risky assets. That was the idea. Um, and and it, it worked. Congratulations. But I mean, at some point, um, you know, too much medicine is uh, is not healthy. <laughs> exactly. Oh, by the way, I'm getting a lot of questions about your gold chain. That seems to be pretty popular here. Um, the, <laughs> you know, it's a, yeah, and that you like gold. The uh, the way Wall Street comes full circle. When I started at Credit Suisse on the on the sales trading rotation program in 1999, dating myself a little bit. Uh, my boss, Steve Keller, uh, I had, I had, you know, like I'm, I'm Roman Catholic, right? So I had my cross there, and it was, it was a big one. Uh, it was literally the only asset I think I had, and <laughs> and, and, and I, I had it like you have it, and it's. He's like, dude, are you kidding me? This is Wall Street. You can't have that. And 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 now, like half of the people on my floor have something that they're that like that maybe not gold like that that's really cool but uh <laughs> it's crazy yeah this is an egyptian cartouche 
it's the coat of arms of Egyptians. So if you look at the um, various uh, pyramids or other things from, from that era, you'll see this design. And in theory, it's my name in hieroglyphics. I can't right. prove that. And this is a bot chain, B-A-H-T. It is the uh, currency of Thailand. And this kind of link is what they used to use for money, um, you know, hundreds of years ago. Awesome. So, and it, it, this is from Thailand, and this is from Egypt. That, that's that's fantastic. This uh, Dave California, this guy just asked two questions on shapes of curves. Now he's talking about how outstanding your gold, your gold chain is. All right, by the last question I have, which has nothing to do with that, um, and and I talked to Nancy Davis about this a lot as well. I think uh, I think you have a similar but probably articulated differently disdain for tips. Is that correct? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Out by short. <laughs> why? What? Why? Like? Why do you guys? I mean, I don't like them either. But why do? Just I'll, I'll let you just speak. Like, why don't you like them? Okay. <laughs> let's, just, let's get one thing clear. Okay. Once upon a time, you know, I'm a market maker on Wall Street, and and, and one of my traders, um, uh, customer comes in, wants to go sell a bond, and my trader won't put a price on the bond, and I said, why not? There's always a price. No bad bonds, just bad prices. Mm -hmm. Okay, right now tips as a product, notwithstanding my you know problem with CPI for all the reasons we know about, hedonics, substitution, OER, forget that nonsense. There is a price where tips make sense. Yep. There's a price where they don't. And right now at a negative one and a half percent real rate, which is a forever low forever. Um, they don't make sense to me. I mean, I guess they could be. You need, you need very high inflation to make these things viable. And if we get inflation that high, there's other trades I'd, like, I'd prefer to have on than this. Um, and also at this stage of the game, I mean, I can't tell you what the DV, forget the DVO one or how much tips will move for a given move in the tenure. I can't even tell you the direction of which way they're going to go. I see tips going down with rates up or down from the current pricing level. So it's not that I'm against tips you know, per se, it's the price right now is it, it's the wrong price. And it's the wrong price, as I wrote about yesterday, because the Fed is buying more tips that are being created. When you add all the tips up, tips that are, that are, that are being issued, that are maturing and everything else, the Fed's buying more of them that are being produced, um, which I think is bad for a lot of reasons. One, just as a, as a matter of concept, you shouldn't buy more than exists. But away from that, tips are what we all use as a way to back into the market's expectation of inflation. And expectations are more important than current reality. Mm -hmm. right? The fact that the Fed has distorted this market so much, we're getting zero information out of the tips market. That is false. And by the way, that's hurting the Fed. How is the Fed able to go and discern where market expectations are when they've distorted the primary, most visible way to look at inflation? So I think they should go once again, slow down buying tips, and go buy it in the one to three year, one to five year sector. Um, I mean, the Fed used to own 10% of the tip market. Now they own about 25% of the tip market, which all happened in the last 18 months. That's, that's just insanity. It's gargantuan. I mean, there, before, prior to Dalio telling Summers to do it, there wasn't a tip market. So um, it's an interesting thing, isn't it, that the history of tips and where they came from, and people like you and Nancy, you guys are creating things at this point in time 
in market history, right? I mean, it's like I was shocked when you said you created the move. I should have known that. Apologies for that. But you know, there's a there's a long history of financial products and evolution. There's a definite. Like I said, until I'm on the wrong side of the grass, uh, there's a secular path for more uh, more ETFs to replicate reality uh, than not. And and um, I, I think you did a really good job, really you know, educating people. That's the first thing before they would ever invest in anything anyone has created. Uh, but also giving them a pretty keen sense on how to use it. So. Um, so let me give a plug though before, before before the clock runs out here is that we have created a product, I've created a product at Simplify, which is a direct drive ETF to interest rates. Um, it's not a matter of implied or implicit, this that it is it is direct drive to interest rates, and it's a seven-year option embedded into an ETF. So you have a long time to go let this thing cook. And the decay is extraordinarily small on this ETF. Um, and this over here is, 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 is I have this on my personal account uh, via my ISDA direct with options and also via uh, the securities um, of having this a long dated profile option that can go down maybe 10 points and up probably 80 or 90 given market moves the other way. Um, and, and, and that's important. Now, there, there is a downside to this is that it is possible that we could get your foreign change inflation and rates don't go up because the Fed holds them down. Um, that's a great uncertainty. Will they, will they allow that or not? I don't know. Uh, I, I'm in your camp about the inflation. Mm -hmm. I'm less certain about whether we're going to get the higher rates or not. Yeah. Uh, the Fed seems to have no worry at all about taking mortgage rates and tips to the wrong price. Uh, maybe they feel the same way about you know long-end treasuries. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And, and, and again, I, I think that every day you should just do like Harley's doing or I'm doing. You're resetting those expectations. The game changes, and if you're not changing alongside it, then you're going to be in trouble. So that's, uh, that's just a couple of, uh, I guess, older dogs talking about reality. But thank you again for, for making the time. Thank you. All right. He's Harley. I am Keith. And we are done with our Real Conversation. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening to Real Conversations brought to you by Hedgeye. Don't forget to check out Hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is not responsible for errors and accuracies or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.